0: Hi, and thanks for joining us on the ProGrace podcast, where we're having new conversations about abortion. I'm Angie Wesley, and we're doing a brief season all around the 2020 election and how that has impacted us as Christ followers, specifically with the issue of abortion. And so I'm really glad to have Sky Jatani joining me today, author and Hi, pastor. Angie. Hey, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: Good. And co-host of the Holy Post podcast. And Sky, we've had a couple conversations about this issue, but you actually recorded a video, you and Phil, for the Holy Post on abortion, actually, the mental models that we hold as Christians and really looking at if, if those are true, which I thought was very courageous of you guys. And I really appreciate you stepping out and doing that.
1: Uh, We were grateful to do it. It it certainly got a lot of response. We knew we were stepping into the hornet's nest a bit with it, but uh, overall, the responses have been mixed, but a lot of people grateful for the video, a lot of people upset by it, but we knew that was going to happen.
0: Yeah, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm really curious to hear how people responded and and how that's impacted you and you're thinking about this. And so if people want to see the video that we're talking about, it's at the Holy Post podcast, Right?
1: Uh, yeah, holypost.com. Okay.
0: And they can just search abortion <laughs> and find it? Yeah, it's, okay. it should
1: be somewhere on the homepage if you just scroll down. It wasn't uh, that long ago, so it's probably still there.
0: Yeah, because it was pretty close to the election, right, within a month, and that's kind of what prompted you all to do it? Right. Yeah. So let's dive in. I have some specific questions about things you said, but I do want to hear first just what what stands out to you when you think about the responses you guys got from those million viewers.
1: Yeah, obviously we were inundated with responses. And just the way I tend to think, I, I started categorizing responses and I'm a pastor by background. So of course I had to come up with three points and alliterate them. <laughs> right. So the, uh, the, the, the buckets I kind of put responses in are these three. Number one, uh, I think some people on this issue approach it as a shield. And what I mean by that is there was research done by the Southern Baptist Convention about two years ago, uh, looking at evangelicals and how they vote. And what was kind of surprising is abortion was ranked only seventh in importance of issues in determining how these conservative evangelicals were voting, way behind things like tax policy and immigration and healthcare. And I think for an awful lot of people, they use the abortion issue as a shield to give moral justification for the way they vote when in reality what's driving their vote aren't necessarily these deeply ethical moral issues but more economic issues mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So when those people saw the video, I think they they didn't really care because they weren't deeply invested in the abortion issue to begin with. Okay. Okay. So that's one category. The second category and this is really who I was making the video for are people who care about the abortion issue and they're looking for a solution Mm -hmm. they're looking for a pragmatic way of helping women and reducing the number of abortions and they tended to respond very favorably to Mm -hmm. our video because we were trying to give them real data and practical ways of thinking about this at least from through a political lens Mm -hmm. and then the third category are people who care deeply about abortion but they primarily view it as a symbol They view it as a moral symbol of righteousness versus wickedness. And in their minds, it isn't about a practical solution. It's about uh, standing up for righteousness Mm -hmm. and not compromising an inch whatsoever. So for those folks, the video really rubbed them the wrong way Mm -hmm. because it felt like, capitulating or compromising in some way with an evil that in their mind you just simply cannot compromise with at all. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, they were even honest enough to admit that they're not primarily concerned with reducing the number of abortions. What they care about primarily is just making it flat out illegal everywhere. Now, and, and that's a different tactic, I think, yeah. than actual... Re- reductions.
0: Because you make the point in the video of how much people think it would be reduced by making it illegal, about 12%. And then you talk about policies that help women reducing it, I think in some states up to 37%. And you're telling me that that didn't impact that category of people?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I had some online conversations with folks and I asked them, you know, this is a false choice, but I asked them, if you were given the option of one, making abortion illegal, like on the, on the books of the United States, this practice is not sanctioned or keeping it legal, but reducing it by 95% and, and making it illegal, but not reducing the number or making it legal, but reducing it 95%. And some people will honestly say they just want it to be illegal, even if it doesn't reduce the number. And I think the the mindset behind that is they want to believe that they live in a righteous, godly country that would not have laws that are unrighteous. And very often the the historical parallel they bring up is slavery. Mm-hmm. You know, they would argue slavery is is immoral, unconscionable, ungodly, and you can't compromise with it. You just need to make it illegal. And interestingly, obviously after the Civil War and the passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, slavery was illegal in the United States. Mm-hmm. But the underlying evil of slavery didn't go away. Right. Right. We still had Jim Crow and terrible racial prejudice and segregation and lynchings and all these. Uh, and I think that's sort of the mindset that some people fall into when we talk about these big cultural issues is some folks just want the books to say the right thing, the the laws to say the right thing, but the impact it has on actual people on the ground is a different issue.
0: Which and I found so with odd. those people,
1: the video did not go over well, obviously.
0: And this is super interesting when we compare this to the gospel and the way Jesus moved the kingdom forward, and he talked about the changing of hearts. I mean, what you're describing is, if we could change people's hearts, that people would think slavery is unthinkable, and treating people differently because the sc- color of their skin, that's in- unthinkable, that's immoral, we could have maybe even seen more change, more positive change, right, And the dealing with racism earlier than just making it illegal during the Civil War, or after the Civil War, and not dealing with the heart. And they're saying that's okay. Like, that's what they want with abortion, too. Just make it illegal. So actually, they'd be okay with more um, children, as they describe it, not coming into the world just to take a stand?
1: Well, few would admit that. Some will be so bold as to admit that, but few will admit that. Of course, what they want is both a world in which it is illegal and a world in which it's not being practiced. Right. And you know, in a perfect world, that's what we would probably all want, right. where where laws perfectly reflect people's hearts and intent. Right. Um, when we're dealing with something though, as pragmatic as uh, women's lives, pregnancies, children, abortions, things like that. It, it, we have to look at what's actually working on the ground. Mm -hmm. What is helping women make uh, decisions that are right for them and right for their children. And that's where I I think we got to get past the black and white way of looking at this, going back to slavery. Again, the parallel would be, do we actually help slaves escape the system of slavery? Do we engage in the underground railroad? Do we work to, to bring them out of that unjust system Or do we work to end the system itself? And it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's a both and. And I do think there is certain, the video talks about this, there is certainly a place to bring better laws and policies in place that are are more compassionate, more, um, frankly, scientifically rooted in in acknowledging the reality of these unborn children. There's a lot that can be done on that policy front. And there are some states that are moving in really good directions that put thoughtful policies in place. So it's not about do we engage politically or do we only engage with women on the ground? It's a both and. And and I think that's where the, the people who are eager for an actual solution are willing to engage. But the people who just view this as a symbolic issue of righteousness versus wickedness, they're not as often willing to engage with people they disagree with or look for pragmatic solutions.
0: And so from your pastor background, just thinking of us as kingdom citizens first, and then citizens of our country second, that's where this, that feels a little backward, and I wonder if, is, if we're thinking about engaging with our fellow Christians and stuff, is there a place for having this understanding of what, is it, what does it mean to live in a righteous, godly country? Yes, we all want laws that reflect God's truth, but that's not where our ultimate hope for change or growth comes. I mean, that's not the model of Jesus. He didn't overthrow the Roman government right and make it just he he did something much more radical and earth-shattering by changing people's hearts and unleashing this kingdom movement but why do we not think like that you know what I mean why, why are there pockets of Christians who aren't really thinking like that where has that mentality gone if you will
1: I know and here's the part that kind of I chafe at more I think there there's obviously a place for law we need laws to restrain evil, right? right? No, right. no one is arguing we should no. make murder legal right. and just change people's hearts. Right. But right. here's what I what chafes me is when we get some conservative thinkers and certainly some conservative Christian thinkers who have one view on the issue of abortion, saying we need to make it illegal on the books in order to change the culture. But when it comes, for example, to guns, they tend to take the opposite approach, which is we don't need more laws or regulations or gun control. Because guns don't kill people, people kill people. And they argue, we need to change people's hearts when (laughs) it comes to guns. Interesting, yes. And so, I mean, I I don't want to take a position on the gun thing, but I do feel like as Christians, we need a a holistic and pragmatic approach to protecting lives Mm -hmm. in general. And when the right strategy includes policy and law, we ought to pursue that. And when the right strategy in- involves changing hearts or or life-on-life engagement, we ought to do that. It's not an either-or. And so our video was simply about, you know, so many Christians have bought into the the political tactic that if you just vote for a pro-life president to then appoint pro-life justices on the Supreme Court to then overturn Roe v. Wade, we can solve the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. And the video was meant to show it's a lot more complicated mm-hmm. than that. And this simple way of thinking is not actually helpful. And I and I think people felt some people felt threatened by that for the reasons I mentioned, but others, you know, when you've spent 20, 30, 40 years of your life. Fighting that battle for pro-life presidents and you're told the evidence shows it's not really effective, mm-hmm. it's a hard pill to swallow. And I think some people reacted out of a way of defending their own political activism over the last number of decades and not wanting it to be dismissed as, as uh, unhelpful.
0: Right. And that could really feel like a poke in the eye, if you will. Like, that's just too much, like you said, to think about. I thought you made a point that was really interesting that both political parties have been benefiting from this false narrative. Yep. Right. That either if you make it illegal, you fix it. Or if you, you know, you compared their, um, or even on the other side, if you keep it legal under all circumstances, that solves everything. You talked about how different their platforms are from what actually happens. And I I feel like this idea, I'm gonna, you said it at the end. Um, If we really wanna solve this, we need to stop being manipulated by political parties and instead focus on what's happening right in front of us. What did people say to that?
1: Because <laughs> I
0: love that. That's kind of how I, I've seen this too. But what were the responses to that idea?
1: Yeah. Um, I, again, some people were shouting amen. Mm-hmm. Thankf- thank you for calling out th- the problem. Others, again, got very defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the people that we cite numerous times in the video and who's become a friend and, and has spoken in our podcast about this is David French. He's a, a conservative evangelical um strongly pro life um commentator and as he says he's raised millions and millions of dollars for, for pro life causes and he he sees the problem as well he says when you try to raise money from a pro life community for the presidential election you can get millions of dollars no mm-hmm. problem when you try to raise money for the local ministry or nonprofit that's trying to help women in their pregnancies, the money's not there. Wow. And, and the volunteer effort's not there. And he points out the fact that there, there is this sexiness to fighting this battle in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And, and getting the right president in the White House. And all. But when it comes to the boots on the ground stuff, mm-hmm. the money's not there, the volunteer effort's not there, the people are less, far less excited about it. And yet, Study after study after study has proven that's where the battles really won or lost. Mm -hmm. And does he
0: say why? Like,
1: well, I think part of it is is we are being manipulated by the Mm -hmm. political parties. There Mm -hmm. are so many voices out there in the media and in both the left and the right who are arguing if if Biden doesn't get elected, then abortion is going to be made illegal, and if Trump doesn't get elected, then you know. There's going to be abortions happening in, your, who knows, your public school or right, something horrible. Right. Like it's, the rhetoric is so over the top and the right. fear on both sides is so over the top that it does capture people's imaginations. And they think that that's the right way to solve this problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Somebody um, responded to me after the video and saying, well, okay, Sky, if you're, if you're right, then why are these pro-choice groups like Planned Parenthood and NERAL and these others giving millions and millions of dollars to the Democratic Party? If, if it doesn't make a difference, who's in the White House? And I think the same argument holds up. Their fundraising is largely driven by the four-year cycle of presidential elections. Right. So it isn't just that they're fighting to keep abortion legal. They're fighting to keep their own organizations funded. Right. And the best way to do that is by making attaching everything to this battle every four years for the White House.
0: Right. Right. Which is a lot of money. And this is where I come from. Money, time, effort, energy that if it were actually directed to the people on the ground could make much more impact. Exactly. And you you turn you talked about this 2020 Notre Dame study that I think backs up what because we can say this. Oh, it's gonna make more difference to focus on the people on the ground. But in the Notre Dame study, they found that none of the Americans interviewed talked about abortion as a desirable good. Right there, that starts to shatter stereotypes, right? Because I know a lot of people on the pro-life side who think pro-choice people are celebrating abortion or they think it's fine, but to understand that nobody sees it as a desirable good. Now, it says their views range in terms of its availability, justification, or need, but nobody upholds it as a happy event or something they want
1: more of. Right. If and we they could couldn't start... find a single woman who wanted an abortion.
0: Right, which is what we've been saying for a decade, right? Like women don't just say, yay, I can't wait to exercise my right to choose. It's a very mm-hmm. difficult decision that comes out of a place of lack and fear and panic Isolation, you know, fearing she won't have what she needs, her child won't have what they need, and you pointed to statistics in your video that show when you give support, when you give women that support, I think Delaware, right, access to healthcare and and different things like that, you see the abortion rate go down. So there is statistical proof that it will go down if we meet those needs. Um, what did people say to that piece? Again, because David's saying you can't raise money around that, but we're saying that's the real answer. What was some of the feedback to that idea?
1: <laughs> yeah, again, it was mixed, right? Okay. I mean, it was a, I forget how long our video was. It was like 14 or 15 minutes, right. something right. like that. So obviously in a short video, you can't get into the weeds and the nuance and the complications of some of these um research projects. And people were pointing out, well, abortion rates went down in Delaware for a lot of reasons. It wasn't just the expansion of healthcare to the poor. And we also cited Texas, which put more restrictions on Mm -hmm. access to abortion and and their rates also went down. So what was interesting is from the pro-choice critics of the video, they were upset with us citing Texas where they passed laws to restrict abortion and pro-life critics of my video were critical when we cited uh, Delaware for expanding healthcare. And it it was just funny to me that their political ideology dictated what they believe the solution to be,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if that makes sense. So if you're a conservative, expanding healthcare is not okay, but putting restrictions on abortion is. And if you're a liberal, expanding healthcare is okay, but putting restrictions on abortion is not. Right. And it, it's just more evidence that so many people are viewing this issue through a partisan lens rather than through a practical lens. Mm -hmm. And I think as citizens of the kingdom, as you put it, as Christians, we ought to be looking at women and children and asking the question, what has been proven to actually help them? Regardless of whose idea it was, are we willing to come alongside and advocate for that? Because we care most about these people, these human beings, these children and women Right. Rather than who gets credit politically for coming up with the idea in the first place.
0: Right. And that's probably out of fear that both sides are willing to give anything. We talk a lot about common ground. And you used to see some common ground legislation around abortion. It usually comes in the form of supporting women with health care and protection from pregnancy discrimination, things like that. But we haven't seen that. I haven't seen it for about 10 years because I think there's this fear that if you work together... Right. You know, like if I give an inch on abortion restrictions or if I give an inch on access to health care, somehow my whole ideology is diluted. And that actually keeps us from making progress because we could be so much more effective if we could find some common ground and work together on those solutions.
1: Right. And that, that's where David French points out, in Washington, that kind of cooperation is virtually non-existent on any issue, right? right? Let alone abortion. Right. right. And where you are seeing certain level of cooperation is at the state and local level. Yeah. and that's why he argues and i think convic- convincingly as our video does as well that that's a much better place to engage on the policy front but also on the practical level of helping in our local communities uh, another example of this is when you look at western europe which nobody would argue is more christian than the united states right it's a far more secular society right they have very um practical uh largely compromised policies when it comes to abortion and including you know limiting access to abortion after a certain number of weeks and the american left won't do what europe is doing and the american right won't compromise either even though it would severely reduce the number of abortions so even in secular societies like france and and scandinavia and other places they have much more practical solutions to this issue than we have here even though we're far more religious as a country and that's it that seems bizarre to me
0: Right. Right. And again, what are we, <laughs> what are we missing in that? And, and I'm, I'm wondering if going back to this idea, I want to hear, were there people who really resonated with, let's start thinking about the Imago Day in every person. Let's start thinking about the people, both people, the woman and the child impacted by this. Did you find people responding to that? Like responding? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What were some of the responses to that? Well-
1: some of it came from people who are engaged on the ground, right? They're, they're helping at crisis pregnancy centers. They're meeting with women in their church who have unplanned pregnancies. They're, they're the ones who understand the relational dynamic of this. And their response was largely thank you. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they, as you said, if 5% of the time, money, and energy that goes to the Washington political activism on this issue was redirected, to helping people on the ground it would make a huge impact. Right. So that was a big factor of it. And then, you know, there were women themselves who contacted us who talked about their very challenging history, their um their decision to either abort a pregnancy or to keep a pregnancy and and all, all the complicated realities that they faced in that season of life and they're eager for Christians to talk about this without it just becoming a left-right, blue-red political football. Mm -hmm. And I think for some of them, they were grateful that the video tried to bring some context and history and data to what has has just become a a symbolic fight for for too many that loses sight of the real human beings at play here.
0: Right. And I just want to say that doesn't happen... That's not an automatic thing that happens when Christians talk about abortion. The, the more normal thing is for women and men to stay silent because of fear of judgment. That means mm-hmm. you and Phil were doing something really special with this video. If you were able to unlock that and people were able to trust you. And this is something we don't talk about a lot, but I think that's one of the keys to bringing healing and a new framework of thinking to the church is for us to hear from those people people among us who made this decision in silence because we weren't safe. They didn't think their church was safe. So kudos to you guys for framing it in such a way that people can talk about it. We're not going to find healing while this stays underground. I I think that's part of this. The people that are so passionate politically, they don't know. They know people who've had abortions who probably aren't telling them because of their rhetoric around talking about it,
1: if that makes sense. created videos and, and published stats on how common this is even among people within the church. Was it one in four? Am I getting that right? No,
0: it's actually four. Lifeway did a study in 2015 and they found that four out of 10, four out of 10. women who have abortions are regular churchgoers, which was defined as once a month or more. Um, but only 7% of them talked to anybody at their church about this decision.
1: Yeah. Well, there it is. Yep. Um, if it's if it's undercover, if there's so much shame and um, and judgment that people won't speak about it, you're right. Healing isn't going to happen. But then it makes me wonder how how many other younger women who find themselves in that situation could have been helped by an older woman in their own church right. who's been there, right? But they didn't know,
0: right? Cause no, because nobody, because nobody talks about it, right. Yeah, and our silence in our churches communicates just as much as what we say, and that's one reason we're passionate about seeing the conversation arise too because, yeah, she doesn't know that someone's sitting down the pew who was in this exact same situation. So her mental model is, I'll be judged. There's no place for me. You know, I'm on my own. I'm going to go make this decision, and it's tragic. To me, that's, <laughs> that's tragic, and it that runs, you know, I go, keep thinking back to Jesus and the Gospels and what he said to the Pharisees, right? You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see the speck in your brother's eye. Like, there's some of that happening with this. It's a spiritual dynamic of focusing on those bad people, evil people over there, and not what we're actually complicit, if you will, and that's a strong word, but that's what I believe, in our silence and the way we frame this in the church. We're actually part of the problem, but we keep so focused on the problem being out there, those evil political people. Yeah,
1: and I think the parallel to the Pharisees goes even deeper. You know the Pharisees, given the historical context of what was going on there, their their agenda was to make all the people in the community f- obedient to the laws of the Old Testament of the Torah, right. because they believed that if the community was righteous, if they did the right things and kept the law, that God would uh, restore Israel and you know overthrow the Romans and and give us our autonomy back again. Right. So their agenda was really self interested right? It was about making Israel independent again. Mm-hmm. And I think to a degree, the same thing is at work in a lot of the, the Christian subculture in America. Although people talk a lot about abortion and they say they want to save the unborn and they, they say they want to help women, at the end of the day, for some folks, those who fall in that symbolic realm, it's it's really not about helping women. Mm-hmm. And it's really not about saving children. It's about making their country godly so they don't have to feel guilty that they are a citizen of a country that has an ungodly law. Wow. And I think that's part of what it is driving the desire to overturn Roe or to get the right policies in place. It's not, does this help women or save children? It makes me feel better mm-hmm. as an American and as a Christian that my country has righteous laws on the books.
0: I never and in that thought regard, about it's that. about
1: me, not about right. the other person
0: right and and how that pharisaical i mean i really think it it's like a it's like a spiritual almost stronghold this this pharisaical kind of spirit like it, and it's yeah. it's pretty common it even happens to non religious people like i i have to feel better about myself in some way, either that my country has holy laws or I'm living a holy life. And so the only way I can do that sometimes is lash out at my perceived enemy, right? Or lash out at people who are worse than me. And I just think it, it's Jesus, what he brings is completely opposite to that. And yet we're blind to this pharisaical right. spirit or culture. It's so prevalent. And yet it's exactly what he came to replace with grace and, and the kingdom it, way.
1: Exactly. If you recall the story of, of Jesus healing a woman on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees lost their minds and yeah. said, you know, there's six days to heal and do it on one of those days, not today. And, and he says to them, you, you jerks, basically right. the Sabbath was created to liberate people. And And if one of you have an ox that fell into a ditch, you would rescue him on the Sabbath. Should not this woman be freed from her bondage? Right. And similarly What good is it to have perfectly righteous laws on the books? What good is it to overturn Roe v. Wade and to make abortion illegal from coast to coast if we're not actually helping the women and the families and the children who will still be caught in these really difficult circumstances? Right. So, you know, again, it's not about policy or no policy or legal or illegal. We need to be wise. We need to figure out what policies are going to most help women and kids Right. What laws will most help women and kids? And then what mobilization mm-hmm. of resources of the church are going to most help? And if we keep our focus on actually freeing people from the ditch they've fallen into, mm-hmm. if we put the focus on compassion yeah. for that person we see on the side of the road, that's what fulfills the law of Christ. As, right. as Paul says, love is the fulfillment of the law, not just getting the right um, legal framework on the books.
0: Right, and you have that quote. I wrote it down because I loved it from William Kavanaugh. The one strategy that's been proven to work runs through love, not power. Support right. for women who may not feel able to carry a pregnancy to term. So I want to ask you about this, and it's okay if you you know didn't see this in your responses, but my hypotheses from working with Christians in this issue is I think what blocks people from putting their focus on the woman and what she needs is a false narrative that, She's just being selfish or she's just seeing the child as an inconvenience. So that's why we have to legislate against it. I don't see a common, real deep understanding of the tremendous weight that an unintended pregnancy can be for a woman in all these different uh, situations. There's not an empathy, right, putting themselves in that place. And so I don't know if you've got any of that, if anyone talked about that. But, you know, if we, if we truly think someone is in need – we're motivated to help, but I think there's this wrong thinking about women who have abortions that blocks us from compassion and from reaching out. I don't know if you saw any of that.
1: I don't know if I, if I saw that directly in some of the responses, but I think it fits into a broader narrative that some Christians hold, not just about women with unplanned pregnancies, but frankly, people in destitute situations in general. Mm-hmm. There is this narrative that's taken hold, particularly on the on the conservative end of the political spectrum that if you are poor or you're unemployed or you're facing some kind of situational challenge, it's your own fault. Mm -hmm, And you should pull yourself up by the boot, by your bootstraps, or you shouldn't have made that bad decision that put you in that situation in the first place. The inverse of that also is if I'm healthy, if I'm wealthy, if I'm well-educated and comfortable, I deserve all the credit for that. Right. right. It's not that I happen to be born into a family of of means or a community where schools were great and you know so we we tend to have this very simplistic individualistic view of things and if a woman finds herself with an unplanned pregnancy well it's her own fault right and she should face the consequences of it and that mindset is just profoundly unchristian could you imagine oh, if jesus came and we're in this advent season now but if jesus came and looked around at the masses and rather than having compassion on them as matthew says and then seeing them as like a as a sheep without a shepherd, what if you looked at them and said, yeah, these poor, miserable people are getting what they deserve because of their own bad choices. Right. Right. That It's the complete opposite right. of the character of our Lord. Right. So we need to ask ourselves, no matter who we're facing, whether the issue is poverty or unplanned pregnancy or some other situation, you know, drug addiction, rather than saying they're getting what they deserve, our call is always like our Lord to ask, how can I be a shepherd to them? How can I have mm-hmm. compassion on them like the Good Samaritan? That's mm-hmm. the posture of the Christian life. It's just one more one more um, bit of data that shows how much we have been captivated by political ideology rather than a kingdom vision of our, of our neighbors.
0: Right. And, you know, it's, I'm thinking of the story because I, I love the stories in the scripture where people try to trap Jesus between these two false binaries, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he always has what I call like a third kingdom answer. And the one I'm thinking of is they say to him, who sinned that this man was born blind, his parents or him? I mean, again, that's part of this stronghold of just wrong thinking that Jesus completely breaks and says, it's not even a relevant question to the kingdom. And um, I do think we need to dialogue about this in our churches, because at least what I'm seeing, when that judgment breaks off, people are really freed to have empathy and compassion. And I don't think people want to be this way. So I want to speak with grace, too, to our fellow Christians, because I'll tell you, I, I was raised very legalistically, I think almost fundamentalist and uh, now that I look back at it. And I was really miserable because I thought God was judging me harshly. Right it mm. all started with that I didn't understand the love of the father. I didn't under right. I never heard sermons on grace. I only heard sermons on law really. Like the second half of all the epistles. <laughs> that's all that ever got preached. I remember I first started reading like Ephesians 1 and I'm like, "Whoa, he's done all this for me." I wasn't taught that. So I think there it's a sad reality of Christians who feel that this is how God views them right? So then they're going to turn around and view others this way. But I think if we're a people of grace, if we really say, none of us are getting what we deserve, right? God's grace and mercy flows to all of us, and that's why we can be generous with it. Just from a theological perspective, I do think that's what could change some of this. Because um, like you say, people are doing things for themselves. Well, really, God has provided a way for ourselves, and it is grace. But if we don't understand that, we don't give it away.
1: That's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, what What's it, Tozer, who said what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us? Yes, right. And if our primary view is he's he's a lawgiver that demands perfect obedience, right? that's going to impact everything. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that gives me hope in this regard. I think in recent years we've seen some progress being made, even, even among more fundamentalist Christian communities, in a growing compassion toward those who are addicted to drugs.
0: Mm. Oh, maybe wow.
1: it's because maybe it's because the opioid epidemic pandemic has been impacting poorer white communities more than, you know, in the past when I was a kid in the '80s and '90s, it was mm-hmm. always seen that drug abuse was somehow uh, an urban African American problem, and right. now it's more of a rural white problem. Right. But I think as more people have relatives, family members, community members who are struggling with drug addiction, it's gone from a a character vice to a healthcare issue. Mm. And more people are approaching it that way, and even in the church, there's more compassion for it. And I would hope the same might happen for women who are facing unplanned pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. That rather than seeing this as a as a moral failure and a consequence that they ought to live with, there is a, a Christian response that says this is a a child of God in a in a difficult circumstance who needs our love and care yeah. rather than our condemnation and and banishment. Yeah. Uh, I. I I've talked to folks who've been through addiction recovery. Um, the importance of not throwing stones was critical to their turnaround, mm. and my hunch is the same is probably true for women Absolutely. facing an unplanned Absolutely. pregnancy,
0: or, or to any of us, guy who who right. find ourselves in a, in a crisis. Like that's what Jesus was saying: shame doesn't transform anybody. But I I think you said something so key here that we've seen when we know somebody who struggles with an issue, Mm -hmm. it goes from an issue or that we might have a political view on to a personal thing. And that's, I think, what needs to happen. And that's why it's so key that we create safe places for people to open up and talk about their experience, because there is something that shifts. And you probably know the theological reason when it goes from being a stereotype of someone out there and it becomes someone we know and love. It profoundly changes us,
1: right? Yeah, there, there's nothing more powerful than an idea that's become incarnate, right? And right. again, in this Advent season, mm. God did not send a, a book of laws. He did not mm. send just some divine revelation. He sent His Son. Right? Yeah. He came as a person to dwell among us, and um, and that's what we need. These really contentious, divisive cultural issues. We need to move them from merely the realm of idea and recognize them as incarnate people
0: yes there are people suffering with this and we have a god who i mean jesus did all this for relationship for love i mean that's at the essence of this you know you think about all this sin we struggle against he paid for all that like that's a really he was born into a violent time a violent death he paid for all of this like Let's look to him and understand that grace that that Advent is proclaiming to us. Um, because I, again, I think we're living sometimes like the Old Testament, like pre-Advent, if as it were, rather than fully understanding what this means.
1: I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm I moved actually. It's been hard celebrating Advent in the midst of COVID. You, this has actually helped it to, to bring it to this. And actually, there's something about suffering. He was born into a suffering culture, right? I mean, there is something about what we're experiencing that hopefully will help us more fully understand Advent and how it really, I love that you tied it to the abortion issue, which we don't often do either. But you're right, making it incarnate.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Well, I I think it's a time for us to to especially in this really difficult season with COVID and the politics of what's Mm. happening in our, in our society right now to, to take a step back and ask ourselves who's really shaping our imagination. Mm. And is it being shaped by cable news or Mm. talk radio or social media feeds, or are we allowing our imaginations to be shaped and formed by the gospel and by the coming of Christ? And how would that change the way we approach some of these issues? Um, we need we need christians to be christian yeah. more than ever yeah. and to, too often on both sides this is not just a conservative issue it's also a progressive one too often our imaginations are being shaped by the political narratives and ideologies and they're not primarily interested in solving these problems or really caring for people they're concerned with collecting power and accumulating money mm-hmm. and, and that's what we have to be aware of that in even in the abortion issue
0: yeah Well, and let's let our imaginations be captured by a person, a person who loves us, who has a plan for this crazy world. I know for me in this season, it's been more about, okay, Jesus, who are you and what are you doing? Because if I just look around me, I will lose hope. But if I believe there's a person at the center of this kingdom who has a plan, that changes everything. So thank you for directing our minds to that sky. I appreciate it. I hope that everybody listening, too, has felt encouraged to engage in some of these conversations um, from a Jesus lens, if you'd say, Sky, right, rather than political. Exactly. And um, hopefully check out Sky's video and uh, have more conversations about this important issue. Thanks.